The Zooier Than Thou podcast contains adult concepts and language and is intended for a mature audience. So if you're not old enough to tell young people not to listen to sexually oriented podcasts, come on back when you are. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, we're coming out because it's time for Zooier Than Thou. Can I say, you got me howling at the moon Whoa, don't you know, the love is wild when you're on Zoo With Zooier Than Thou Oh yeah Welcome, comrades, to another very conspicuous episode of Zooier Than Thou I'm Toggle, animal rapper. I'm Doodle, dude of donkeys. And I'm Lovecat, cookie connoisseur. And we'll be your hosts for this evening. Season 3 sure has been going hard and heavy. I have it under good authority that many of our listeners like it hard and heavy. <laughs> well, I think we've definitely delivered. So far we've discussed religion, zoosadism, therapy, and a double dose of queer activism. We're averaging over two and a half hours per episode. Big topics are awesome. More is better. Make them big, swollen, throbbing episodes that deliver massive loads of hot, wholesome content. (laughs) But back to back, that can be a bit exhausting. Imagine the new listeners binging the show and trying to catch up. (laughs) Ah, they love it, the sluts. (laughs) So uh, this episode, we thought we'd give you a breather and keep it light. Well, if we must, what's the topic? Coming out. I'm not sure that's a light topic. But it's increasingly relevant for our listeners. Don't worry, we're not going to drag on and on. But we've seen an increase in emails coming in about coming out. It's on the mind of a lot of our listeners, and this is an opportunity to bring our audience in on the topic. So if we get done early, we're all going to make out, right? (laughs) Only if you suddenly turn into a mare. (laughs) Is Elsie suddenly a Norse trickster god? You know, there weren't nearly enough horses in that show. Disney Dunn did doodle a disservice. Damn right. There also are not enough horses on this show. Damn right. We need to find more horses for staff riding positions. Uh, The horse riders are currently on strike, protesting the U.S. Bureau of Land Management's continued assault on the American wild horse population. Ugh, the BLM nobody likes. Zooier Than Thou stands in solidarity with our equine brothers and sisters. Here's hoping Secretary of the Interior Deb Howland will do the right thing and put the lives of wild horses and burrows over the profits of cattle farmers before they become mere memories. Zoos hmm. can find out more about this issue at AmericanWildHorseCampaign.org. In the meantime, we're stuck with dog skits until the horse riders come back. I suppose if there were ever a reason to be lacking horse content, it would be that. Fortunately, we're in no short supply of wonderful listener emails. We have a backlog even, so let's not waste any more time and jump right in. Our first email is from our friend Blackbird the Cat, who says, Thank you. Blackbird writes, Hi everyone, I've had a pretty crazy past 11 days now. It was 11 days ago that I listened to my first episode of Zooer Than Now, and it has changed my life in ways I would never have expected. I need to thank you all and everyone in this wonderful community we are building. I grew up completely repressing my sexuality, wrapped up in fear, shame, and guilt, pouring all my daily effort into hiding who I am, away from everyone, crushing it, burying it deep down. That pattern has continued in my adult life. I finally managed to come out to a couple of people online a few years ago, plus one person I knew IRL, although he lived hours away from me. At that point, I thought I was done. I had a little family. 
This must be what it's like to be okay with who I am, right? But in the end, I was just as trapped as ever in my prison of my own making. I was careful to hide my interactions with these people, paranoid of anyone finding out. I still had a hard time talking about sexuality, even to those I was out to, and I'd stopped trying to meet everyone else from the community. Coming out to them was a positive experience. But over time, I fell back into the same painful patterns. I learned about the podcast from one of those friends, but never felt safe to listen to it for a long time. Honestly, I think that fear was justified. I've often felt like I was balanced on knife's edge. On one side was the depths of depression I'd feel whenever I was forced to admit to myself the hell I was living in. On the other was the absolute despair at what I thought was the impossibility of anything better. Whenever I got too close to something I cared about, especially my sexuality, I'd find myself tumbling off the precipice and I would fall all the way down. So I was rather tense when I finally decided to give your podcast a go. The before Stonewall episode seemed like it might be safe, being relatively tangential to the Zoophilia. I felt okay afterwards. Stable, at least. So I tried listening to Get Help, and hearing you talk openly and normally about Zoophilia, and hearing Heine Maletsky speak about it from a standpoint of science, empiricism, and empathy, it blew my mind. No, that phrase isn't right. It's become associated with cool technology and factoids. I mean, my entire sense of self, my worldview, my understanding of history, all of it. It was torn asunder, and it continued all the way the next episode, and the next. It was the first time I had the slightest sense that anything better than what I had known for 20 years was possible. The first time I knew what it felt like to be proud of who I am. The first time I really understood my worth needs no validation. So as I said, it's been an intense experience for me. I had a zoo community account and I'm talking to people. Things are clicking into place, sometimes as fast as I can think. The false narratives I've bought into, the way my repression had leaked out into every aspect of my being, the needlessness of the pain I had felt, the way I'd avoided pursuing the things that make life meaningful, the way I had conflated familiarity with comfort and so settled into my familiar pain, terrified to try anything else. So thank you for what you are doing, hearing you normalizing zoophilia and showing that optimism and kindness are rational reactions to the state of the world today has changed my life for the better. The songs in particular have been a source of strength. Every time I feel like I'm going to start giving into my fear, I sing King of the Pride or Amen to myself, and I'm able to push through it. Oh, yeah. One more thing. A few days ago, I wrote to you about feeling an overpowering urge to come out to my parents. An urge so strong I nearly fainted more than once when it was butted up against the instincts toward fear and panic and that I had honed for decades. They are the most important people in my life to whom I owe so much. I want to give you an update on that. I haven't come out yet, but I'm going to. I haven't made the decision rashly. The process has been painful. I've thought long and hard and really confronted every fear I have, and as I've done so, they've fallen away, one by one. I know my parents, I know how much they love me, and how hard they have tried to help heal the pain whose source they can never discover. I'm confident they will accept me for who I am, and even if they don't, I'm confident that coming out to them, breaking the silence, will be my first real step in freeing myself. No matter what happens, I know it'll be worth it. My plans are concrete. I'm still laying a little groundwork, but I have the message I will send them prepared. Short, sweet, and clear about what I am saying. I am prepared to answer questions. I know my boundaries for what I will discuss with them, and how I will react if they try to cross a line. And the first place I will send them, if they need more than I can give, is your podcast and the interview with Hani Maletsky. At first I was terrified just to think about coming out. 
But as I've worked through my fears, talked to my friends, and laid out my plans, I found a remarkable peace. This is happening, and every possible path leads somewhere better. Come hell or high water, by this time on Friday, if not sooner, I'm coming out. I'll keep you updated on whatever comes next. I have you, my friends, and the kind people on Zoo Community to thank for this transformation. I don't know how to put into words how grateful I am. I really believed I was going to live and die the way I had been for so long. You saved my life. You saved my soul. And all I can say is thank you. All of you. <sighs> can I just say that when I originally read this email, I actually started crying? Mm-hmm. It's definitely a moving one. Oh, man. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I've noticed a pretty big change in attitude towards coming out among zoos since the first time you and I did an episode about coming out, mm -hmm. Love Cat. Right. When we did that episode, we were doing it because it was, it was kind of an, a radical thing, right? Yeah. yeah. It was something that the only opinions that I've ever heard before in the community was that it would be an utterly stupid and, and self-destructive thing to do for any zoo. Right. And since then, it's been coming up on two years since that episode, uh, mm -hmm. once we get to December. You know, all three of us have come out to our parents. All three of us. And hopefully hearing all of our stories for all the listeners has helped give everyone courage to actually come out. And clearly from this email, it, it has helped quite a bit. Yeah. I, I think maybe part of it is people changing how they feel about themselves. Mm -hmm. I and mean, that's what I'm feeling from this email. There's a shift in the paradigm of thinking about what it is to be a zoo mm -hmm. and it is a real privilege to actually in any way be a part of that uh, and I'm so glad that you found zoo community and people there to talk to and people you can ask questions to and help you find the support you need to make that decision it's a big decision what changes is that once you found the strength to accept yourself that sets a precedent because you are a person and you are valid and if you can accept yourself then it means you can be accepted by others too. That's right. But you know, there are a lot of fears associated with coming out, like really understandable. Was there anything going through your mind when you... Uh... Yeah, so for me, I originally came out as a teenager and then just over the years, it had gotten forgotten about. And I went through eight or nine years of denial mm -hmm. where I had pretty much convinced myself that I wasn't a zoo anymore and had, had largely forgotten about it. And then the dam broke and it all came flooding out. Okay. And it was not too long after that, my dad was having that talk with me where he, he said, well, what is it? You're here at this age, you've never had a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I remember as a teenager, it was animals. Is that still it? You know, and for me saying yes was the second great coming out. That was still very difficult to do, but I at least had a little bit of a precedent in my own experience. It wasn't like a, a totally new thing at that time, so I don't know how to compare that to somebody who maybe got to a, a similar age and, and it's their very first coming out. Right. Dude, what about you? I remember you came out to your mom. Oh, I was um, absolutely terrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't think it matters how old you get. It's always terrifying saying something this big to your folks. Right. And with my mom coming from a veterinary background, that was even more terrifying. And oh, it, I mean, it took me like a solid 15 minutes before I could actually say anything to her. And she finally got the point. I was like, look, I'm going to give you to the count of five. Just spit it out already. And I finally <laughs> said it. But <laughs> holy mother of God, that was terrifying. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I was really scared. And I had a cheat with my dad because 
she told my dad for me, so I didn't have to worry too much about that. And he also took it amazingly well. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it crazy? Yeah. My mom was like, don't tell your dad. I remember I was going to come out to her after we did our coming out episode in December. I was super inspired by you guys. I was going to do it. And then my husband was like, you know, your mom's kind of a gossip and a little bit of a lush. Uh, And those two things (laughs) don't go together very well. And so I held out. But eventually this year, I came out to my mom and I was like, I already planned it out. I'm going to get some wine. I I don't drink at all, guys. So I'm going to have like a glass of wine. A glass of confidence. And sit down and have this conversation. She didn't have any wine. The one time she didn't have wine because she was dieting. (sighs) And so I had like a truly, you know, those like, (laughs) yeah, <laughs> they're pretty good. The little, the little sparkling water mm-hmm. alcohols. Oh, uh, wine cooler. Yeah, Seltzer. yeah. It's like a white claw, basically. Mm-hmm. So I had one of those, and it came out. I remember my mom was super nervous, and then when I said that, she's like, "I don't know what that means." Oh, no. So I kind of explained it, and she's like. Wait, so I thought I thought you were going to tell us you had cancer or AIDS. <laughs> Compared to that, this is nothing. <laughs> That's a great response. That's a lot right. better than what it could have been. Yeah. Uh, she still didn't quite get it. I don't think that she, if I were to go, hey, mom, do you want to be on an episode of the podcast and talk about it? She'd be like, no, absolutely not. Mm. It's not something she wants to really engage with too much. But she's like, you know, I will always love you. And I don't know why you ever thought that I was going to tell anyone. That's no one else's business at all and then eventually I did have to come out to my dad I remember my dad when I was I came out as a furry he asked me if I wanted to fuck the cats I was so mad I was so mad I was so mad of course I didn't but I also had been sleeping with the dog but anyway so I came out to him I was like you have to come over we have to do it in person and he came over before work and we're standing out in the yard, and I'm like, okay, so here's what's happening. Uh, and I need to tell you that I am attracted to animals, and I do a zoophile podcast. And the man didn't even blink. He was like, okay. I, I, like I was, I was just like, how did you not even blink at that? That was my dad's response, like a, a no-blink response. I've had other people give me that response. I was cuddling in bed once with a friend, and they were, they were asking me what was up. And I, you know, I came out to them, and there was, again, like literally not even like a hiccup, mm-hmm. you know? Like their body didn't tense or, or anything. It was literally just, oh. And they, they took it so in stride that... At the end of the discussion, I said, do you know a lot of zoophiles? And they're like, no, you're the first. I was like, <laughs> wow. But you are an open-minded person. Yeah. And I, for me, that's been more the norm type of response on, on that end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I haven't had anything bad, really. I've, I've had some people that were, you know, like they didn't really want to know or yeah, like- they you know, had some difficulty with it. But I didn't have anybody who wanted to cut me off or fuck up my life or anything like right. that. Most people just kind of like, oh, huh. Yeah. Obviously, thank you. You were very inspiring to me, Blackbird. Like getting this email was a lot, and I enjoyed it, and I really appreciated it. So thanks for writing in. We're going to catch up with Blackbird a little later in this episode to find out how the coming out went for them. But it's worth remembering that as Westerners, we're actually very privileged with relative safety when it comes to the choice of coming out. Our next letter is from Q who says she guesses we can use the email on the air if we want to. Hmm, not a lot of confidence there. They may have good reason to be hesitant, though. Q writes, I am a woman, and I live in a country where it is highly illegal to be zoosexual. I prefer the term zoosexual instead of zoophile. Where I live in the world, if someone outs you, you are done. 
They storm your residence, execute every non-human on the property, and then they burn you alive. As you can imagine, I'm not too keen on that. I've been a zoosexual all my life, and I've always been brainwashed into believing that I am a monster simply because I love animals the same way other people love other people. Listening to this podcast has shown me that I am not a monster. If my handsome hunk of a husky sticks his red rocket where the sun don't shine, he does so because he wants to. And if he's not in the mood when I proposition him, then we don't screw. It's up to him, and I would never force him to participate. I am married, and my husband is unfortunately not open-minded enough to tell. He found out other things about me a couple years back and treated me like I was a loony ever since. So I've been listening to your podcast as often as I can, and I've gotten through season one and on my way through season two. Every episode is engaging and thought-provoking. I hope to one day be able to be Zoo without fear of having my beloved non-human family members murdered. But until then, I'm just going to lurk about, keep my search history clean, and make sure that nothing is ever tied back to me. I don't make posts or videos or even recordings. Keep as low of a profile as I can. And most importantly, I tell no one because I can trust no one. Secretly, Zoo. Q. I'm glad that this person has the courage to even have written this email. That must have taken a huge amount of... of uh... Hutzpah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you live in a situation where the consequences are that dire... I can imagine that even admitting it to yourself, let alone writing into somebody else anonymously to talk about it, must be a real nerve-wracking experience. Oh yeah, especially if you don't want any trace of it left. You know, there are dangers to coming out for us in the West as well. There's a threat of people using it against you. Uh, there's a threat mm-hmm. of doxing, which is something if you're an online person is a very real threat. Uh, there's a a worry that it could affect your employment. And of course, there is still the worry, in America at least, that police will shoot your animals. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to worry about yourself being killed for the most part. That system isn't going to kill you for being a zoophile. It will definitely screw things up pretty bad, though. Yeah, it can be scary and it can be dangerous. You could compare that to the dangers of coming out as gay in certain parts of the world. There are places where being gay mm-hmm. is a death sentence. And in the West, that's barbaric. It's it's ridiculous. It's wild because we're so accepting of this sexuality now. But 50 years ago, 60 years ago, being out could mean that someone comes up to you and kills you on the street. Like Matthew Shepard, some guy was like, we're going to go have sex, Matthew Shepard. And he was like, sounds good. They met at a bar and then a dude kidnapped him, beat him almost to death, Mm. left him tied to a fence post, and he later died. Mm. And that was in the 90s, guys. I don't know if some of our younger users know that. Matthew Shepard happened in the 90s. And for trans people, with the rates of trans people being murdered is outrageous. Even here? Even in the U.S.? Oh, yeah. Even here, definitely. But as zoos, there are certain places where this is still the case, too. And I think it's important to remember that we actually are very privileged coming from America, at least. And certainly in Europe, I would feel there are certain places in Europe where you're even more privileged than we are. We still have a long way to go in in all parts of the world. Absolutely. 100% still have a long way to go. So I think this is part of why it's important to talk about coming out in a comprehensive way. So we're going to be celebrating a lot of triumphs, but we're also going to be talking about a lot of the fears, the downsides, all of the muddiness that comes with coming out. And we have you guys to thank for being open and honest with us in your emails. Thank you for sharing all of your 
stories with us. And thank you, especially Q. Yeah, know that you are loved. You are thought about. Making your existence known, even in this anonymous way, allows us to keep you in our hearts and to have you in our minds when we're pursuing our activism as we work toward a world where you don't have to fear, that we don't have to fear that our partners and ourselves are going to be harassed and antagonized and killed. Yeah. Thank you for bravely volunteering to write in, Q. We're glad we could help you feel less alone. And we'll be right back with more stories about coming out right after these words from our fake sponsors. This episode is brought to you by... Jean Coats Comfortable Closets. If you're going to be in the closet anyway, why not spruce it up? Stay hidden from view in the ergonomic seat behind your hanging clothes. With plenty of upper shelving, there's space on the floor to stretch out those cramped legs. Plus, thanks to Jean's patented noise-dampening technology, it's perfect for podcasting. Who says you can't stay in the closet forever? You won't rock the boat when you're rocking a comfortable closet. And also by... Ernest Eddy's Hot Tubs for Bears. Tired of bears playing in your hot tub? Get them their own. Ernest Eddy's Bear Tubs have advanced filtration systems that don't break down under the stress of fur and brambles. Ernest Eddy's, because bears are hotter in hot tubs. And finally, Electronic Mail. What's electronic mail? It's a quick and easy way to send messages at the speed of light, anywhere, anytime. Imagine sending a letter to the other side of the world and being able to receive a response in seconds. Move over, traditional post. Electronic mail is the way of the future. Thank you so much for helping get that research grant, Dr. Waffles. This is Bleeding Edge Research, Dr. Schnitzel. I am happy to be a part of making it happen. What is this test we're supervising today? Well, you see, Dr. Biscuit, we've been studying human capacity for higher order communications with canines. Given that they lack the ears and tails necessary to express themselves in more complex ways, and thus resort almost entirely to vocalizations and hand gestures to communicate, we've set up an intermediary system that allows them to express their thoughts in ways dogs can traditionally understand. Is that what all those buttons are for? Yes, these buttons correspond with basic canine communication, and they trigger a reaction on the display here which tells us what they're trying to say. The augmentative and alternative communication technology we are using is incredibly sophisticated, yet so elegantly simple. The human learns to associate the sounds with a meaning, and the sounds trigger a visual display that's easy for us to understand. That's all well and good, but are humans even capable of stringing together complex thoughts? This seems like fairly basic gestures. How do we know they know what it means? There is always the risk that they are simply learning by rote. Like when you train your human to inspect the door when you sense an intruder and bark, or when you teach them to pet you when you lay your head in their lap. 
but preliminary tests are promising and suggest they may indeed be capable of higher level canine communication. You're in for a particular treat today, Dr. Biscuit. We'll be adding more buttons to the array, increasing the detail and subtlety of communication. The interns are just finishing adding the final buttons and rigging them up now. The human can also see the visual representation of the buttons on that large screen there, so he can learn to interpret the way we speak in response. Very clever, employing the backlit glass as a teaching mechanism. Oh, I can't take all the credit for that. That was Dr. Waffle's suggestion after looking over all the research we've compiled so far. Humans seem to be primarily visual and secondarily auditory learners. That's why we've employed the black glass and the auditory button feedback in these tests. Simply brilliant, Dr. Waffles. Oh, you're too kind, Dr. Biscuit. We're all set up, Dr. Schnitzel. Excellent. Many of these buttons actually capitalize on some of the gestures we've been teaching them in our responses. Let's see how the human performs. One, one, hackles. Garoth. Nut. Uh, what was that last one? Nut. 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 Oh, dear. How did that one get there? Nut. Nut. Oh, dear. Nut. The test is no good if we're using human vocalizations. He needs to learn to speak in canine. Please remove the nut button at once. Sorry about that. Nut. Nut. Hey there, buddy. Nut. I have to take this one away now. Nut. He seems to be a little frustrated now. Well, that's natural. Those vocalizations are the human's preferred method of communication. Let's see what he does. He seems to be thinking very hard. Garoth, bow, hike, rag. Oh, dear. <clears throat> Fascinating. He seems to have figured out how to convey that human vocalization using only canine signals. Sniff, sniff, mound. Oh, dear. He's not talking to me, is he? He seems to be eyeing your strapping young intern very intently. Uh... <laughs> Mr. Bacon, do you have anything to say for yourself? Oh dear, this is embarrassing. He just seemed to need a little help after the last session, so I... helped. Well, Mr. Bacon, he seems very intent on getting help from you now. Perhaps you shouldn't keep him waiting? Woof! Yes, sir, Dr. Waffles! Well, this has been most informative. Wouldn't you say, gentle dogs? Fascinating indeed. He's become so accustomed to canine communication, he's begun to see canines as conspecifics. I certainly didn't expect him to imprint on the intern. Well, he and Mr. Bacon have been getting pretty close lately. It's not unusual to form close bonds in studies like these. Oh, look at him go. Oh, to be young and virile again. What do you say as old fogies go get a bite to eat? An excellent idea, Dr. Biscuit. I do suppose we have about half an hour to kill anyway. There is an excellent food truck on 3rd Street you simply must try. Oh, sounds divine. Dick Steiner is a loose rocket cop. You're a real loose rocket, Detective Steiner. I'd be a batter cop if you didn't keep me on such a tight leash. But Forbidden Love is about to turn his world upside down. What do we got here, Kutowski? Looks like the victim was poisoned. Just like the last one. But there's something really interesting in the bedroom I'd like you to take a look at, Detective. 
<laughs> oh, dick. We can't keep meeting like this, Grotowski. Why? Because we're different species. No, because it's against regulation to date a co-worker. And this is a crime scene. The real crime is that I can only get to see you at crime scenes. When Detective Steiner makes a terrible discovery. It looks like another poison. <laughs> Wait a second. Your hands. Don't sniff my hands. It smells like Belladonna. It's you, isn't it? You're the Belladonna killer. All right, I admit it. But it was only so I could see you more often. The distance between us is killing me. And apparently everyone else, too. Man's best friend has to decide whether he's loyal to love or to the law. This guy is a professional, not a trace of evidence. No one else on the force has the nose to sniff out the perp dog detective. We're counting on you. Let's just run away together, Dick. We'll leave no trace behind. I can't just leave, babe. I've got some unfinished business. <laughs> We can't keep meeting like this. Why? Because we're co-workers. No, because this is about to be a crime scene. Otto Von Wolf is Dick Steiner, Loose Rocket Cop. Read it R. Now in theaters and streaming on HBO Max. Welcome back, fellas Jews. We're continuing our discussion about coming out with an email from Mamalika, who says they finally listen all your episodes. And Mamalika writes, I loved the combination of Toggle and Fasty. Over time, only hearing you two talking, I really kind of fall in love in a not sexual way. So a few hours ago, I heard that Fausty's gone and it broke my heart. My eyes keep pouring tears since then. I'm not religious, but for this wonderful, awesome guy, I really hope there's a heaven where all his love to lost finally can be together. And when times come, we get there too with all our losts. Mm. The podcast is so great. You are all so nice people. That's, well, I can't even find the perfect word to describe that. I'm 29 years old and know that I have deeper feelings for dogs since I was young. I'm also zoo exclusive, by the way. So in my teenager days, I didn't know what makes me so different from my classmates. I also had a rough childhood. When I was seven, a man catched me and locked me for three days. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't want to get deeper into that. After surviving this horror in my summer holidays, I had found my first dog. It was a male mixed breed and I spent so much time with him. He helped me to get through my trauma and be healthy afterwards. I can't remember the age when I fell in love with him. It must be about the age of 10. I never feel attracted to humans like I'm attracted to dogs. I always kept this a secret. When I get older, at the age of 14, 15, I had my first own computer with access to the internet. So I searched what's up with me. I found Beast Forum, but had no luck there with finding good zoos or same-minded as me. So I get out there after a few days. I found other forums too, but there are too many bad people out there and I don't need my past reloaded. Hmm. The most videos I found was abuse. I had no idea how to penetrate a bitch. I mean, how to get in without hurting her. Poorly, the most people in the vids don't care. So mm. I quit that. So after all years to now, I had kept my secret and didn't even talk in forums. Three years ago, my old love dog died but in the same year, I found my new love. 
I knowing her since her eye opening. So the past years, having her growing up at my side, I began asking myself if it's right that I had these deeper feelings. I'm from Germany, and here we have the Zeta Verein, so I contacted them to finally or hopefully talk to someone like me. Thoughts I had at this time were getting me crazy. Things like, I am an animal raper without recognizing it, and stuff like this. They really helped me, and with this podcast, I accepted myself like I am. Two months ago, I felt healthy enough to tell my two best friends and my family what is my real me, and with your help, I finally had something that helped me showing them what zoophile means. I don't want them to ask Google, because there is too much, way too much bad things to be shown. Mm. Surprising, all accepted me as I am. So finally I have arrived in my life, so I really have to thank all of you. Keep your work on and show the world what awesome people we are. I love you, everyone in the Zoop team. Greetings from Germany. Oh, so if you were listening last episode, Mamalika is Germom's son. And they both reached out around the same time, Mamalika a little bit later, as they found out that Falsi had died. So yeah, thank you for catching up, listening to stuff. I hope you continue to find it inspiring. Mm -hmm. And thanks for sharing your story of growing up. I think that a lot of us have those kinds of stories of searching for zoophilia on the internet and finding stuff that made us feel ashamed of who we are. Mm -hmm. I've seen that before. Obviously, we've talked about Beast Forum on here before. Well, it's like on the one side, you have material pornography that is, is not representative of who you are. And then you have a, a community that's been terrified and they're not believing in itself for decades. There's, right. there's no part of it that would make you feel like it might be a decent and okay and even good part of you. Right. And I'm glad you had a resource like Zeta Ferrein in Germany that could actually help you through those really scary and difficult thoughts and help you accept yourself. Having resources like that is something that a generation of zoos has grown up without, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, oh, also, I wanted to say one of the first things I said to my mom when I came out was, do not Google this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do not Google it. That's definitely a big fear because there's just so much content of just abusive content out there. So it's always a better situation when you can explain who you are and about yourself to someone directly versus well, let's punch it into Google and see what comes up. Right. And it's not just abusive content that's going to come up. It's all the uh, animal rights organizations that have chosen bestiality as a punching bag and a way to get certain legislation passed that they want. Those are the first things that come up. And that's not healthy or conducive. Now, I will say search for zoo sexuality. That's going to come up with different results. One of the first results is the psychology wiki on zoosexuality in Google. So that's a really useful link. But searching up zoophilia, zoophile, bestiality, don't do that on Google. I was like, I will provide you resources if you want stuff. And I learned the first time when I came out as a furry to my parents, they Googled it. And that was a mistake. And we all know furry is hardly offensive. But the first results at that time were very scary for them. Try to be the person who gives those resources. And also, isn't it cool that in Germany, they had an organization that could be that resource, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for writing in, Mamalika. I'm glad you were able to find the courage to come out. Next up, here's an email from Cookie and Connie, who want to share their coming out story. Cookie and Connie write, 
Dear Zooier the Now crew, we noticed your tweet about looking for Zooey coming out stories to share on the show, so we thought we could share ours. Cookie and I met at a fur con a few years ago. Back then, we had no idea of each other's affinity for non-human animals, but we fell in love rather quickly. Maybe it was sheer luck. Maybe our Zoodars were tingling. Maybe every furry is secretly Zooey, who knows? It was probably a combination of all those factors. We had been living together for almost a year without having the slightest clue when Cookie took me to my first festival. You can think of it as a German version of Burning Man, just replace the desert setting with an abandoned airfield with lots of hangars. The first few days we experienced standard festival stuff, listening to our favorite bands, socializing with our fellow attendees, and partying on different kinds of substances. It's at that point where we decided that our jug of choice for the last evening would be LSD. It was my first experience with the substance, and I was quite nervous and excited. As a new morning started to dawn and the sky changed from a deep black to a lighter blue, we found ourselves dancing with the last few night owls that remained on the festival grounds. I didn't particularly like the music that was being played, and I was getting tired, so I grabbed Cookie and our friends, and we went back to our camp. On the way there, I started to feel a bit odd, even more so than before. I think it's important to mention that I'm a canine therian who experiences species dysphoria, and occasionally even minor shifts. I felt like I had grown a tail, and I could feel my snout in front of my face and fur sprouting all over my body. I quite enjoyed these realistic sensations of changing into the canine body that I'd always wanted that the acid was giving me. I had hoped that it would do that to me, but I never thought it could feel so intense. But after I thought about how these sensations were not real, how they can never be real, and were just a product of a drug playing with my bodily sensations, I got quite sad. I wasn't going to turn into a dog, and I knew I would never be one in my lifetime. And I started to cry. The others noticed, of course, and asked me what was wrong. That was the very first time I ever came out about my theory and experiences on identity to anyone, and I'm glad that it was to my boyfriend and two of my best friends. They left Cookie and I alone in our tent to let him calm me down and talk about what I was experiencing. I was very worried that he would think I was weird now that I knew my greatest wish was to change my species and I asked him, could you even love me as a dog the way I feel inside? He mumbled something like, huh, you wouldn't be the first one. Oh? I began to press him on that, even though he was very reluctant to tell me what he meant, but eventually he elaborated that he had fallen in love with a bitch who lived with his family in his youth, and that he was sexually and romantically attracted to dogs and horses. I felt like my heart stood still for a second. Could it be that the man that I had fallen in love with over a year ago had the very same feelings that I had towards other species? And we hadn't known all of these feelings for such a long time? I told him that I didn't judge him for feeling that way, that in fact, maybe it made me love him even more and that I feel the same way. As the sun rose over the horizon, we sat atop the van and talked about our experiences, our time growing up as zoos, and about his first love, the bitch from his youth, and how much she still meant to him, even years after she died. It was one of the most beautiful and eye-opening experiences of our lives, noticing that we are not alone in the way that we love animals, being affirmed by the love of your life that you are not weird, that you are not a monster for being who you are, but the way that you feel made you even more beautiful in his eyes. After the festival was over, we had to part ways, even though it was tearing at our hearts. But we kept talking about being zoo over our phones, and we were grateful that we now knew our biggest secret. The topic came up occasionally over the next few years, but it was when we stumbled upon your podcast last year that we found community and noticed the masses of animal-loving people all around us. We want to thank you from the bottoms of our hearts for doing what you do and the way you help people like us who are afraid and secretive 
but become confident and proud by listening in and hearing people talk about the topic like it's the most normal thing in the world. Thank you so very much. You're doing our community a great service. Keep it up and stay as awesome as you are. Tail waggingly, Cookie and Connie. Hmm. That's so lovely. I know. What a love story, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic. I, I have often had people come out to me first before I come out to them. And it's always that little nudge where they want to tell you, but they're reluctant and they just say something under their breath. And you're like, oh, really? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And they come out to you and suddenly you can be that person who says, it's okay, I feel the same way. I've had that. That was actually when I mentioned earlier, having gone through years of denial, it was somebody else who spontaneously came out to me and I said exactly that. I said, it's okay, there's nothing wrong with you, I'm one too. That was the moment that the dam broke for me. We all do want to be known as we are and, and loved and valued and respected as we are. I think it's interesting how different substances might help us let our guard down and be authentic, perhaps. Like, they did LSD, but I mean, even me, I was like, let me just have a small amount of alcohol here. When something is such a risk for you to share that for a lot of us, we have a lot of difficulty in even accepting it internally for a long time, uh, mm -hmm. let alone letting anybody else know about it. We build up such strong walls and we were so afraid of letting that guard down that it's not surprising that a lot of times it, it is something that makes that guard go down, that allows it to happen. And I've read the opinions of others whose, whose opinion was to never let anyone know. I remember somebody saying that they would stay sober simply because alcohol and being a zoo don't mix because you might accidentally forget yourself and out yourself. And it's, it's a sad state of affairs when that's the case. Right. And but a lot of times you, you do need that little bit of extra assistance, you know. To Liquid courage. Gives you a little extra push to help you find the courage to come out. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us, Cookie and Connie. Unfortunately, not every coming out experience is a positive one. Here's one from Izumi, who was shamed for coming out. Izumi writes, Hello, I'm a proud zoo. I don't really like <clears throat> to talk about what animals I do prefer. I'm kind of shy about it. But anyways, I joined a Discord server. I thought they will accept me since I'm also a furry. I showed an image where a furry wolf holds up a sign with zoophiles are welcome in their furry fandom, and they banned me. And then the moderator messages me saying, you were banned for promotion of zoophilia. Joking or not, you will be reported to TOS goodbye. It's just made me sad, since they just banned me for being myself, being wholesome to other zoophiles. I just wanted to tell them that it's okay to be yourself. Izumi. So coming out in public spaces is definitely a risk. Right. Usually I would advise the places that you're generally going to be coming out are to people that you trust, to friends, to relatives, people who know you, who you are, people who can balance the fact that you're a zoophile with the knowledge of who you are. Mm -hmm. Because it is the fact that you are already human to them that makes it easier for them to accept. Mm -hmm. It's essentially it's like walking into a bar and saying, hey, everyone. I like to fuck dogs. And then they're like, we don't like that you're kind of around these parts. That's a risk, right? Yeah, it's an especial risk. Honestly, he's talking about a, a furry Discord server here. Right. And in furry spaces, you're faced with the, the situation where there's a higher percentage of zoos than anywhere else, but there's also 
a higher resistance to zoos than anywhere else. There's nowhere else that I can think of offhand where you will face the kind of, what do I want to say? Animosity? Yeah, because in most other spaces, no one there is afraid that anyone's going to think that they're zoophiles too. They don't have anything right. to prove, but in furry spaces, being a zoo has, has become not anathema. What's the word? Uh, Stigmatized? Yeah, in furry spaces, being a zoophile has become such a stigma that everyone feels they have to denounce zoos and prove that they're not zoos by antagonizing, harassing, banning, and otherwise right. being dicks to zoos. So being an open zoo in a furry space carries a different level of risk than it does in other places. Like when Doodle came out to his boss, his boss was just like, it wasn't a big deal to him because he doesn't have any stake in the game. He, he doesn't care in, in yeah, that way. Let, let me just go back because Doodle came out to his boss mm-hmm. and we were there when that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of happened on the spot. It was certainly unexpected. It was just happened to be right at the moment we were getting an episode recorded and happened to be using the internet and I happened to slip and say, well, we're recording, it's about sexuality and well, it all just snowballed from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he came out, he's like, I just came out to my boss and we were like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Live Why on air. <laughs> 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 oh. oh my God. You know, but it went, out, it went all right, right? You still have that job? Yeah, and everything's pretty good about it now. He's half the time he tells me he forgot, yeah. but otherwise, <laughs> nothing negative, no issues or anything like that. Right. right. Because in that context, it's like he doesn't have anything to prove there. He's not worried about his own reputation or that any shit's going to come down on him. So it's like he doesn't have to resist that. Or, you know, he, what's the word I'm looking here for, Toggle? He has no vested interest in narrative resistance. He's got n- nothing to fear. You being a zoo is inconsequential to him. Right. And that's but I think, generally the way that it is outside of the furry fandom. Yeah. And now that doesn't mean, hey, everybody, go tell your boss. Yeah. Be sensible. Your mileage may vary. Yeah. Let's <laughs> talk a little bit about being sensibly out in, in these kinds of public spaces. So there is a difference between being zoo in a furry space. Maybe in Telegram, your bio has a Zeta or something. It's, it's open, but it's not posting in the chat, hi, I think zoo files are valid, apropos of nothing, right? Like, there's no indication in your letter, at least, Izumi, that your posting of this picture was prompted. If the discussion starts there, that's different. You have to choose how you're going to be a part of it. And usually you just maybe veer this discussion away from it or put something in perspective that shuts down that conversation so that people don't feel alienated. But being out in a public space doesn't necessarily mean posting zoo files or valid memes in spaces where the context is not like read the room right and i see what you're trying to do you wanted other people to feel valid and that's wonderful but i think maintaining a presence while also not rubbing up too much against those people it's hard because part of activism is rubbing up against people right but you're in like a discord chat You have to choose your battles and decide where you're going to be loud and proud and where you're going to be yourself and not take any shit, but also not push the envelope. Because honestly, when you're in a Telegram chat, you're not in a space that you have any control in. So deciding where you're going to push that envelope is important. We're sorry to hear you had such a bad experience, Izumi, but we hope you'll continue to stay proud and stay defiant. While coming out in a furry group might not always go so well, 
there's a lot of value to being visibly out in the right places. Here's one from someone who is no longer an anti-zoo, who extends a genuine apology. No longer writes, I cannot provide you with a Twitter handle for fear that in doing so I will draw attention to myself, so I must remain anonymous. I wanted to reach out real quick. This has been on my mind a lot lately. Having used to be a part of the anti-zoo community, I have come to realize how toxic they really are. I cannot really say that I know what to think at this point, but I have been directly exposed to so many accounts fighting alongside them that have traumatized me. I'm not a child, but this is no task to be handing out to children, and I know damn well a great majority of them are children. Having really listened to people in the zoophile community, just for perspective, I have learned that I was wrong about you lot. I misjudged you on a very prominent, repeated notion that you were all, quote, animal rapists. I know now that while there are those among you that actually cause harm, there are those among us who do the same. I have also learned that there are those among you who seek to hold each other accountable, but both sides of this have victims. I do not feel that sending swarms of how disgusting mere attractions are and repeated death threats is fixing any sort of problem. It's actually just hurting innocent people. Bingo. Just like me. If my identity was revealed to the anti-zoos, they might socially crucify me for saying so. I don't know if I can trust you exactly, but my message to zoos everywhere is this. I'm sorry. From the deepest pits of my heart, I hope you're able to find friends who will love you and accept you in a healthy way that causes no harm. I hope you are safe and cared for. I hope you find peace. So, it's interesting because... I'm going to make a comparison that might make some people upset, but bear with me because I understand that there are differences here. But it's kind of like when you see black people doing sit-ins in diners in the South and being jeered at and having cola thrown on them and being thrown out and being beaten up. Of course, this is a much lesser scale. We're on Twitter, guys. It's not like people literally getting beaten by cops and shit. But the idea of being visible and being kind and being positive while others hurl shit at you that is a valid tactic because it makes the other people look like shit and to be fair the problem is that the other people are shit it's not just optics it's the fact that you get to expose them for who they really are and what they really stand for and even those among them sometimes can figure it out right like this is stupid this isn't working this doesn't help why are we doing this? Why are you exposing children to this kind of shit? Why are all of you 13 and doing this? But, if I may, I do have to acknowledge some of the shortcomings of this person's apology, just because there's still this sense that like, you're cool as long as you're not practicing. Like I'm still feeling that vibe. You didn't mm -hmm. say that, but I do feel it. But I have to acknowledge that you're meeting us halfway there from someone who's come from doing what people do on Twitter to deciding that this is toxic and I don't think you're monsters is a big step, right? Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of integrity to, to write an email like this. Right. So I, I get it. And I think that it's a big step for someone who still has concerns about bestiality. Mm -hmm. And okay, for most people, it's going to be, you know me, you know what I stand for, mm -hmm. you know I'm not going to hurt animals. But then for a stranger to come and say, I'm still weirded out by this, I don't quite understand, but I understand that you're not monsters, that's useful. That's a win. It's not the furthest win that we want, but it's something that is the result of being out in a public space and being visible 
And I think Twitter, I hate Twitter. Don't get on Twitter. But as a platform for being visible, it is useful. And I think, Lovecat, you don't want to be there at all. And the only reason you're there is because of this, right? That's it. Yeah. Otherwise, I could be done with Twitter and be glad to never see it again. Right. Twitter is a shit place. And being on those quote unquote front lines, I, I hesitate because it's still the internet, right? But being there and being visible and then being in that toxic space does weigh a heavy toll on you. So it's not for everyone. It's not for me, but there I fucking am. But that is the kind of out that, first of all, you are not in a private space where you can be kicked out. Being a zoophile isn't against the terms of service. It's a large corporation. You are relatively anonymous there. You can maintain a sense of distance while being personal, showing that you are a human, while also being overtly zooey. Thank you for your kind apology. We're glad you're no longer an anti-zoo, and we hope to find an ally in you for years to come. There are times when we come out in a moment of weakness or distress. Siegel writes in about our Get Help podcast about their experience with therapy after coming out. Siegel writes, Hello, Zoot Crew. I wanted to let you know I've had a very different experience with counseling and therapists. Every time I see a counselor, they forget what we talked about last time I came in, and we have to start over and can't get anything done. <laughs> Sounds extremely frustrating. Yeah. They say they're going to do this and that with me the next time I see them, but they never do. I recently came out to my mom about being zoosexual and a map during a depression attack, and she was devastated. As a mom, she tried helping me by calling crisis services and got a therapist who wanted to fly me out to California. Keep in mind, I live in New York State. Uh. Uh, that's big, especially when someone is going through a traumatic life experience. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do is leave home. Home is my comfort zone, and going across the United States doesn't sound very comforting. The counselor also kept saying that they could cure my illness and get rid of these thoughts completely, and I knew that was a bunch of bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it also did not help when I gave the phone back to my mother, and the counselor literally said what I was into was worse than death. Ugh. I've had a bad experience with counseling and therapy. Mm. Maybe I just had a bunch of bad apples, but it seems that they just want my money more than anything. Okay, first of all, I want to acknowledge how fucking shitty that therapist is. Yeah. Worse than death, indeed. If you can even call them that. Right? I recommend looking into an ASEC therapist, particularly one who has done extra training to work with paraphilias. Map stuff is well outside of the scope of this podcast, but... During a podcast I was listening to to prepare for our Get Help episode, a therapist noted that the point of therapy is not to shame someone or belittle them when they have those kinds of attractions, but to provide them with coping strategies to deal with having a sexuality that they can't act upon. So no, there's no curing an illness. There's only coming to terms with who you are and learning how to live with it in healthy, constructive ways. Bringing it back to zoos, the sad reality is that not every therapist is actually equipped to help us with what we're dealing with, and mm. sometimes our families don't know how to react either. But you know, we deserve to have good mental health, and we deserve to have those resources to help us that everyone else has. Damn right. So I I've talked to several people who have had these experiences of coming out in a moment of extreme emotional turmoil. I know one of my friends had someone when the zoo status leaks came out, they just fell apart on them because they're like, I'm a zoophile and I, ca I can't handle this. Like 
the fact that this is a thing and the fact that, you know, this is going to tear our community apart. It was high emotional times and they were lucky enough to come out to someone who was a zoo. I've been distantly acquainted with, with one or two people who have come out in circumstances that seemed uh, far less than ideal to me when they were having a lot of other difficulties that it just didn't seem like coming out was really the the move to make at that point but i never really found out what the result of that was it seemed like they, they'd come out to their mother and it sounded like they didn't know what to make of it but they also weren't freaking out about it but that mm-hmm. also wasn't as far as i could tell like their big issue so it just right. it didn't seem like it would be that helpful Right. Well, I think that when you're in that state, all those feelings of like, I just need someone to accept me as I am right now. Yeah. That's what I need. Kind of bubble up to the surface. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our families don't really know how to react, right? They want to be supportive, mm-hmm. but sometimes what they say is actually very detrimental. Yeah. I think that's a thing that people have to deal with coming out as gay as well, or right. at least before where it wasn't as understood. They're trying to be supportive in their own way, but it ends up being destructive for us. Well, zoophilia is so far outside of, I think, most people's conception of what they might have to deal with with a family member. You can see somebody maybe coming out as gay or or bi or or something, but I think that for a lot of people, when somebody comes out as zoo, they don't have any conceptual context for that, and they either just don't know how to field that, or they grasp at whatever they can in the moment. And that sounds like what this person's mother did. They just, uh, 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 crisis counselor, uh, yeah, that's all I can think of right now. Yeah. Well, thanks for writing in, Siegel. I hope you find an actual good therapist who can help you out. Up next, here's one from Gin Kai, who writes, I want to check in again and thank everyone that works on Zooer Than Thou. It has been a most needed encouragement to understand, analyze, and reevaluate my values and relationships with other humans and non-humans alike. Recently, I came out to my significant other. We've been together for almost four years, and I was struggling when and how to approach the subject. I was still in denial about my sexuality when we first started dating, but over time, I realized I needed to be open about my attraction towards animals. I was given a reassuring hug, and I was told I was loved in response. I said the subject was open for discussion if there are questions in the future. I'm relieved and thankful I trusted my gut that this experience reinforced we work so well together. I'm very grateful to have an understanding partner. I hope other zoos that wish to come out the best of luck. I agree it is easier to mention it in the beginning of a relationship, but due to a variety of circumstances, it might not be possible. I personally knew deep down that my partner would accept me for everything that I am. And if someone is confident with the person they are sharing their life with, it is worth being fully vulnerable. Peace and love, Gin. Hell yeah. It's definitely worth it to be out to your partner if you're going to be in a long-term relationship. And also, congratulations on your almost four years. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to trust your gut. Your gut's usually about right, especially when you're coming out Mm -hmm. to your partner. If you trust them enough, you know them enough, you can already have an idea how they're going to react. It's definitely worth it to come out to them just so you can not have to hide yourself and feel like you're just stuffed into a closet at all times every time you're with them. Like having this whole part of your, you know, who you Mm -hmm. are just cut off every time you have to be with them. Or feel like it's this ticking time bomb the whole time. Something you have to fear constantly. Yeah. Let Mm -hmm. me tell you, 
living in a house where you can't be out and knowing that that is what you expect to be like for the rest of your life is going to strain your relationship. It's mm. going to make you resentful. You, you need to have that closure in a relationship. And I feel like if your gut's telling you this person can't handle it, for me, that relationship isn't going to happen. If someone is anti-zoo, I don't want anything to do with them because mm. th that's such an important part of who I am. And that means they won't accept me for who I am. But if you know in your gut, even if they're anti-zoo, that if you came out, that they would change their mind, you know, that's different. Yeah. You need to trust the person you're in a relationship with. That's all I'm saying. I think for a lot of people, it's difficult because maybe you didn't accept yourself until after that relationship was well established. Maybe you right. didn't really understand how important it was going to be to you. Then you have to make that decision about whether to, you're going to go your entire life never allowing the person closest to you to know this very intimate and important part of you. And if you decide that they won't be able to handle it and that you can't continue the relationship, well, you might not be able to just end the relationship without coming out about it anyway you know it's like i yeah. i don't know i i know that there are people in such scenarios and i i wouldn't know how to advise that i'm having the first human relationship of my life and we were very well aware that we were both zoos beforehand that was the, the main thing that brought us together and i know that doodle came out to his girlfriend like pretty much from the beginning i did too before we ever even thought we were ever going to date, I mm -hmm. came out to my husband because I needed that as part of the foundation of trust right. to have a relationship. It may sound a bit extreme, but in my opinion, if the person you're with, if you don't feel like you can trust them with everything about who you are, and again, it might sound a little mm -hmm. extreme, they might not be the best partner for you. Right. <laughs> right. And being vulnerable with someone is a strength. It strengthens your relationship. Absolutely. And if you feel that you can't be vulnerable with someone, you will have distance. Mm -hmm. There will be distance between you if you can't be vulnerable with someone. Mm -hmm. So one way or another, you're going to have to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for writing in and sharing your story again. Congratulations on coming out to your partner. Our next one is from Atreus, who came out to a friend, but it didn't turn out how he wanted. Atreus writes... First of all, I want to say that I really love your podcast. It's actually the only one I listen to, but for good reasons. I simp a lot for you, especially Toggle. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you are having a great day. The reason I'm contacting you is because I'm kind of concerned. I came out to a friend, not the first one I came out to, and I had a couple good reactions, but he didn't take it too well. He first sent me to therapy. After that, I told him that conversion therapy doesn't really work, and then we kept talking about my experiences, how did I realize I was a zoo. He asked me if I was pro-contact. Yeah, I can't stand that terminology. I got scared and said I wasn't. He was satisfied and also told me that I shouldn't be talking to pro-contact zoos. <laughs> I told him I won't, even though I do it on a daily basis. I feel like I'm betraying him, but I also feel like I deserve better. I stopped talking frequently after that. We do talk occasionally and interact on Twitter on my main account, so I guess we are okay. But I'm concerned about him outing me eventually, especially now that a bunch of furries got outed for being zoos. What should I do? By the way, your podcast is the best. Los adoro un montón. So I can relate to this hardcore. I had a friend 
that I came out to in a moment of distress because they were saying anti-Zeus sentiments. And I was like, yo, we're really good friends. That really fucks with me because I'm a zoo. And he was like, I wish you hadn't told me that. And now that I know, I don't know what to do with it. And I can't be associated with that. I have a lot to lose by being associated with that. And I don't want to be. And I was crushed. But even more was this lingering fear that at any point, he agreed that he wouldn't tell anyone, but at any point he could have just out at me, right? And I don't know, I, I totally relate to that feeling because I was under that feeling for years. And it is debilitating. I felt like I had no options open to me. I felt like I couldn't do anything for fear of someone outing me and ruining everything that I was trying to build up at that time. <sighs> it's a shite situation. I think it's important here what Atreus says. This person that he's calling a friend, he, he, he tells him that he doesn't... First of all, the, the language of, of pro or anti-contact, this doesn't belong in zoo discourse. That is not zoo terminology. Nope. That, that, that's a whole different thing. And that this person is putting a, an ultimatum on their friend. What I read here is that, you know, they'll, they'll be your friend as long as you don't do something that they disapprove of. And what upsets me about this is when Atreus says, I feel like I'm betraying him, meaning that friend, because he follows that up saying, but I also feel like I deserve better. You do. You, you deserve do. a true friend. You are not betraying that person. You are being forced to betray yourself so that that person doesn't turn on you. That's what's going on. So I, I understand that you've been friends with this person and this really sucks and it hurts, but you owe yourself more than you owe them, okay? Their life is their life and their decisions are their decisions. You have to do what is best for you. Well said. And let me also say that that friend of mine never betrayed our confidence, never told anyone. And I have to give them credit for that. Even though they made me feel like shit, even though they dumped me like a bag of wet rocks, they never told anyone. My recommendation here probably would be to maintain an acquaintanceship, to be courteous, but ultimately you've seen the distance that's grown between you now. That person isn't someone you trust. It's someone you fear now, right? And this is a risk of coming out to people. There is the risk that they could out you. And we've seen that happen on Twitter among furries, where they're like, this person came out to me as a zoo, and isn't that uh, the ultimate betrayal? Someone comes out to you and you tell everyone? And that's why it's it's so incredibly toxic in the furry community, because there's so many young people who don't have the, the life experience and maturity to understand what a friend is. Right. It's not just somebody that you hang around with a lot and, and maybe even enjoy being around with. Trust is, is really the ultimate bedrock that friendship has to have just like any relationship and that's why when we're saying that, that this person is not a friend because if if you can't trust them then that's not a friend you know doodle and toggle and i are all friends because at bottom we know we can trust each other no matter what you guys don't know this but me and doodle fight yeah. like we f we fight yeah we butt heads worse than a couple of wild goats yeah, right. and you don't know it because we're still friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'd never know. We don't air our, our dirty laundry in public. Right. It's no one else's fucking business. Yeah, you'd never um, know about all this stuff we argued about, you stupid son of a... Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> 
But the thing is that you, you can be friends, you can have disagreements, you can even have fights, you can even have fallings out. But if it's resting on that bedrock of trust, then if, if it was real, then you never have that fear that so-and-so is going to turn on you and out you and try to destroy you and, and these kinds of things. Right. Like, even when Dude and I fight and we've been like, fuck you, I don't want to see you again. There was never a fear that, like, I'm going to go start talking shit about Doodle, right? Mm-hmm. You never felt that, right? Nope, not in the slightest hint. <laughs> okay, good. Because I never thought you would do that about me either. Of course not. So I want to say to Atreus, what I say to a lot of people, the most important thing is to be true to yourself. You're in a situation now where this person may decide to try to hurt you with this information, or they may not. But regardless, I think you really know that you're not going to still be talking to this person 10 years from now. You're going to be finding the the people who love and and value and respect you for who and what you are for exactly the reasons that this person is going to have a problem with you. And the sooner that you are true to yourself and give yourself that honor and that respect, the, the sooner you'll find that you are on the right path in your life. Yeah, coming out can make or break a friendship. And I think probably the number one thing that you can do to make yourself secure is to have a support network. When you come out to a couple of people, those now become your support network. They're not going to leave you when shit hits the fan. And when you have a large enough support network of people who love you for exactly who you are, not only does it give you the strength to do big and courageous things, it also gives you the strength to weather things like some asshole outing you on Twitter. A support network can make the huge difference. So if I were going to leave you with a parting suggestion for your situation, it would be that. Best of luck to you, Atreus. Hopefully everything turns out just fine in the end. We've been on something of a coming out roller coaster over the past hour or so. We've seen the good and the bad, the difficulties and the rewards. But now it's time to check in with Blackbird the cat. You'll recall that Blackbird wrote in about coming out to their parents at the beginning of the podcast. Well, that was a couple of weeks ago. A few days later, Blackbird got back in touch with us. Blackbird writes, Hi Toggle. I'm still trying to wrap my head around everything right now, so I may not be totally coherent. But I did it. I actually came out. And it hasn't been a disaster, so far. Of course, they had some pretty terrible questions, like wanting to know if I act this out, because they were concerned about my health. Presumably, they were imagining all kinds of horrible STDs I might be getting and they apparently felt the need to ask if I was abusing my cat, to which I indignantly replied, Have you seen him? I bring him over to their house regularly so they should know he's happy and healthy. And they know me better than that, so I was fairly insulted by the suggestion. But they did say the words, We accept you, and mostly just seemed completely caught off guard. They said they had no idea it was even a thing people did and had to Google the word zoophile, which they also said they regretted. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted to process the news, so the phone call wasn't long. I sent them the Henny Maletsky interview, and the interview with Lovecat's dad as homework. I felt the need to tell them explicitly not to mention it to anyone until we've had a longer discussion, because I worry they haven't even considered that there might be legal implications, so I'm sure that will be a fun conversation. My brother drove several hours to be with me while I was on the phone with my parents, and he and I are both going over to their house tomorrow for lunch, so we'll see what that's like. A large part of me is still having trouble understanding that it actually happened. 
I've only ever thought of this scenario as a hypothetical, and it's like my brain doesn't know how to process it <laughs> as a thing that occurred in the past. I keep having thoughts along the lines of, oh my god, what if they find out, and can't quite shake the feeling of dread at the possibility of being discovered. It's a really weird feeling. Hopefully I'll get over that tomorrow. Anyway, thank you for the support. I wouldn't have had the strength to do it without you and the other hosts. We've been in communication with Blackbird since, and it turns out his mom hates podcasts on principle. So we sent her some reading recommendations instead. Blackbird's sibling also ended up coming out at the same time as both Zoo and Gender Fluid. Double coming out story. That's pretty fabulous. I say especially yeah. fabulous as a Gender Fluid Zoo myself. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Pretty princess. Mm-hmm. You know it. <laughs> So, you know a lot more about what would happen. You've been talking to Blackbird as well, right, Lovecat? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. what, what's been going on since then? Well, I mean, since then, just life, you know? It was all this trepidation about leading up to, to coming out, and then they did come out, and their sibling as well. And as they say in the email there, it went just fine. Their parents were just concerned for their well-being. And Mm -hmm. I recall from their first email, which we didn't read on this episode, but their very first one that they sent to us, they clearly had a a very good gut feeling that their parents would be able to handle this and would accept them. Right. Uh, And that proved to be completely correct. But since then, it's just been, you know, uh, normal life. They seem happy and healthy and life goes on. So that's a good one. Trust your gut, people. Yeah, you really do know. On, on some level, I think you, you generally really do know. Yeah. The decision to come out is a very personal one. It depends on your circumstances, your relationship with the people you're coming out to, and your own fulfillment, among other things. It can also be a powerful statement that encourages others to be healthier, happier, prouder zoos. It has the potential to be a source of inner strength, but it could also be devastating. Hopefully, stories like Blackbird the Cats become more and more frequent as time goes on. Nothing changes minds like knowing that someone you love is affected by injustice and prejudice. Exposure is a solution on a macro scale, but it's a decision that has to be right for you because ultimately, you're the one whose life will change for better or worse. But know that it is no longer impossible or far-fetched to be accepted by the people you love for who you are. Being a zoo is part of what makes you, you. And there are people in your life who will celebrate that with you. Stay defiant and proud, friends, and be unabashedly you. We'll be back with more Zooer Than Thou after this. You've been there for me my whole life. You taught me everything, from how to tie my shoes to how to be a decent person. You tell me you love me every day, and I love you too. We have no secrets between us. Except that I'm a zoophile, and I'm afraid to tell you. When you ask, when am I going to have grandkids, how could I ever explain that my first love was our family dog? You tell me you love me unconditionally, but other parents have disowned their daughters for less. So I'm a zoophile, you note, but you've known me all my life. I'm still the same girl you raised. Ultimately, you decide how our relationship continues from here. You could abandon me in disgust and claim you have no daughter. Or you could be the rock that you've always been and try to understand and tell me you still love me 
like you always have. What will you do? Welcome back to Ask Zooey, your go-to source for cross-species relationship advice. I'm your impeccable host, Zooey. And I'm their inscrutable cohort, Toggle. Inscrutable, you say? Indubitably. Abstruse. Recherche, even. Ooh, enchanté. Mon amour. Parlez-vous français? Yet. Well, I think that ends today's vocabulary lesson. But did you know that we're not only experts in language arts, but also in the art of cross-species romance? That's right, dear listeners. And if we don't know the answer, our trusted panel of advisors will surely come through for you. So don't be afraid to submit those tawdry inquiries. And yes, we speak American dog language, as well as American equine, and we have interpreters for every dialect of animalese. So no matter where you are in the world, feel free to write in whether you have two legs or four. Today's question is from a two-legger, Unrequited Love in Uxbridge. Unrequited writes, Dear Zooey, I'm in a pickle, and one that's been eating me from the inside out for the past couple of years. Day by day, my soul is shriveling up and dying. Oh my. With the theatrics out of the way, I need help and advice. I have the distinct privilege of being with one of the most beautiful dogs I've ever seen in my life. She's divine. She's a goofball. She's a bitch. I love her, but she doesn't feel that way about me. She loves me, but she's not in love with me. Our relationship in the bedroom is frustratingly one-sided. She enjoys what I do for her and she goes crazy for it. Though, any time I want to make love to her, she's extremely passive, even if she's been flirting and in heat. It makes me feel so gross because clearly she's not into it. It's gotten to the point where I've almost given up on trying. The decision to make is clear. Stop trying and enjoy providing what she does like. I can accept that. But my God, I need that close connection in my life. However, I don't have the capacity, space, or time to care for a third canine, so I can't try to form another relationship. Maybe it's the stupid passion of youth, and I'm feeling too much with what's in my pants instead of my head. I'd love to be one of those zoos who only needs emotional connection with their companions, but I don't think that'll ever be me. I don't know how to handle these feelings, and it's eating me alive. Unrequited love is always hard, and especially hard when you share a living space together. Rest assured that you're not the only zoo who's experiencing a one-sided relationship. When we bring a companion into our lives, there's absolutely no guarantee that they're going to be interested in us in return. And yet, we have made an investment in their well-being either way, and we have to honor that commitment. That can make it particularly difficult when you need that kind of companionship in your life, and there's no way to get it. However, I'm happy to see that you understand that when a lady says no, she means no. Even among two-legged relationships, there are some guys who just don't seem to get that memo. Frankly though, I'm not sure that your situation is so much unrequited, as that she's just not into what you're into. After all, she enjoys other sexual play. And she flirts with you when she's in heat. It sounds like she acknowledges you as a sexual partner. This is where communicating clearly and openly comes into play. All relationships require open communication and a willingness to understand one another. Have you considered that you might not be communicating what you're interested in clearly? The rituals of canine foreplay might be worth learning. Playful roughhousing, pressing neck to neck or cheek to cheek, and alternating between these three activities, sniffing and slurping her vulva, 
licking the side of her mouth and sniffing and licking the inside of her ear. If she's interested in being mounted, she may then place her foreballs on your shoulders while roughhousing, signaling she wants you to mount. Or she may indeed let you know mounting is out of the question. Or she may change her mind about being mounted at any time. But remember, she's not going to get zoomies while in mid-coitus. If you're not sure what signals to expect in these situations, take some time to watch canines making love with one another. And if she's not into mounting, take heart in knowing that she's willing to share other types of intimacy with you, and find ways to get enjoyment from those activities. There are a number of canine toys that would help sate your desires. You can bury your bone in a silicone dog pussy while enjoying the taste and smell of your amorous lover's heat. I don't know about you, but getting humped in the face by a bitch in heat sounds like a pretty good time to me. Relationships involve compromise, and sometimes partners just don't enjoy the same things as one another, but try not to take it personally as being unrequited. All that said, I know plenty of zoos whose animals are not interested in them sexually, or even more heartbreaking, they're interested in everyone else except for them. This can be emotionally difficult, as it feels like rejection. In these situations, I liken it a little bit to having an asexual human partner, someone who loves you and is devoted to you, but who's not interested in sex. And remember, this isn't your fault. It's not your partner's fault. It isn't a matter of them loving you less. And yet, you're still not having your sexual needs fulfilled. For many zoos, we have other sexual outlets since a lot of us aren't zoo exclusive. But for those who prefer monogamy or for whom sex with humans is out of the question, the situation is difficult to navigate. Particularly because you usually can't just go out and find another girlfriend to have a relationship with, or have a casual fling with the bitch down the street to have your needs met. For those of you out there who are in an asexual relationship with your animal companion, I'd like for you to consider that you can create intimacy without sex. I'll say it again. You can create intimacy without sex. Cuddles and kisses, loving eye contact, just doing something nice for your partner because you know how much they love it. All of these are ways to bring those warm and fuzzy feelings to the surface. Remember when you come home and your dog is waiting for you with a wagging tail, or when you show up at the stables and your horse greets you warmly. Your companions love you, and nothing makes them quite as happy as being around their favorite two-legger. Every moment you spend together deepens that love you share. Your companions may not associate sex with a committed relationship the same way you do, so don't take it personally if they're not interested. Animal sex toys are getting more and more sophisticated by the year, with specially designed inflatable knots and meticulously crafted animal vaginas. Investing in toys that scratch the itch you're missing is worth doing. Whether that's a simple pocket pussy or a very convincing plush pooch that's large enough to mount. Anything that stimulates your imagination and brings you to a satisfying climax is worth its weight in Bitcoin. Our relationships are different, and all of them are complicated in unique ways. If you feel that your love is unrequited, it may just mean you need a new perspective on your relationship. Thanks for writing in, Unrequited. I hope that our tips lead to greater satisfaction during intimate moments with your loved one. And that's our show, dear listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to answering all your Zooey relationship questions next episode. Keep those submissions coming. We'll see you next time on Ask Zooey. Same zoo time, same zoo channel. Thanks, friends, for listening to Zooier Than Thou. Join us next episode 
when we'll be talking about what matters most to zoos. It's bound to light a fire inside, so don't miss it. You can subscribe to the podcast via our Zooey RSS feed. Just point your favorite podcast client at rss.zoo.wtf and off you go. Can't wait for the next episode? Sad this one's over now? Check out our extensive bonus content at bonus.zoo.wtf. If you want to show your support financially, head on over to donate.zoo.wtf. We can be found all over the web where podcasts are distributed. Try searching for Zooier Than Thou on your favorite podcast directory. Our podcast website is still zoo.wtf. That's WTF as in why the fuck was this episode so short? Our Twitter is at Zooier Than Thou. Follow Toggle at One Big Grumpy Rat and follow me at A Cat Who Loves You. And follow Doodle at One Dapper Donkey. That's the numeral one, Dapper Donkey. A reminder that we have a form that enables anonymous submissions to the podcast on our website, zoo.wtf. You can share your coming out stories, ask Zooey about what to get a mayor for your anniversary, or test out your bad faith arguments against bestiality. You can also simply email us at mail at zoo.wtf. Or you can rail us at rail.zoo.wtf. Share this podcast with your friends who are on the fence about coming out or with a loved one you've recently come out to. All non-humans who contributed to this podcast support the wild horses against the tyranny of the U.S. Bureau of Land Management. Stay wild and free. A mare is actually the name for a great plane on the moon. But that kind of mare isn't really the sexy kind we discuss on this podcast. I'm Doodle, and I really like the sexy kind of mare. And I'm Lovecat. Be kind to one another. It's the sexiest, zooiest thing you can do. And I'm Toggle, and we're all getting laid. You've almost finished listening to Zooier Than Thou. Stay to find fellow zoos. We'll see you next time you feel like howling at the moon. Oh! Nice. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>